in this passage, we hear the amazing news that Jesus' touch and Jesus' word heal this sin-sick world. In this text, we're told three stories. In the first, Jesus touches an untouchable, unclean leper, and Jesus' touch cleanses the leper. In the second story, Jesus offers to enter the home of an untouchable, unclean Gentile centurion to heal his servants. But when the centurion demurs, Jesus just says the word, and that word heals the servant. In the third story, Jesus touches a a feverish woman, a woman that many Jews in in Jesus' day considered untouchable, both on account of her fever and, as I'll explain later, on account of her being a woman as well. And Jesus' touch heals this woman's fever. Then that evening, people come to Jesus from everywhere. People uh, bringing the sick and bringing the demon-possessed. And Jesus casts out the demon, the demons with just a word and heals all those who are sick too. And then Matthew concludes by telling us that all of this fulfills God's word which Isaiah prophesied long before to his sin-sick people who were in exile at that point in time, that one day a suffering servant would come and he would take up our infirmities and bear our diseases. Jesus' touch and Jesus' word heal this sin-sick world. Do you believe that? To tell you the truth, I don't believe it as much as I would like to. Um, I mean, I believe it happened back then, but does it really happen today? I remember one time, maybe 10 years ago, when I was pastoring a church near Vancouver in Canada, I was preaching through Mark's gospel. And, and Mark is this quick action gospel. There, are lots of, uh, there aren't very many, rather, words in it in terms of Jesus' teaching, but there are lots of Jesus' actions Mark shows us in in rapid-fire sequence Jesus healing people and casting out demons and performing other miracles. And and Mark tells us that all of this is evidence that through Jesus, God's kingdom is arriving. And that when God's kingdom arrives, the sick are made well and the bound are set free and the outcasts are welcomed home and all that is broken begins to be put back together again. What wonderful news to get to preach about, right? (laughs) But I remember complaining to God one time during this sermon series, God, I'm so tired of preaching the good news of your kingdom Sunday in and Sunday out, and yet seeing and experiencing so little of it in my own life and in our church. I was wrestling with this again this this past month because um, one of our kids has been dealing with a medical issue. And, and we don't think it's a, a major one, but the doctors weren't sure. And so they sent our child to several specialists for different tests just to rule out some more serious things and, and to try to figure out what was causing this problem. And so we were running around to these doctors, taking time and money and energy to do this. And, and somewhere along the way, I, I say to Anne, we're expending all this time, energy, resources putting our faith in these doctors, but what about our faith in Jesus? It's not exactly that that we hadn't said some quick prayers along the way, individually, privately, but I know I hadn't taken my faith in Jesus seriously in this situation. And, And we hadn't intentionally taken time to actually gather around and put our hands on our child and and ask Jesus to touch them and to speak a word of healing to take this condition away. 
And, and so I had to repent. I had to ask Jesus for forgiveness because I know I was failing to put my faith in him. Uh, failing to believe that Jesus' touch and Jesus' word heal this sin-sick world. Now, I'm not meaning to say that Jesus might not choose to heal through medical means. He might choose to do that. And I'm grateful for all the medical technology that we have today. But my problem was I wasn't even turning to Jesus. I I wasn't even looking to him in in a significant way to, to heal, whether directly or through the doctor's. I was distracted, and and this was a crazy failure on my part because I know that above all, it's Jesus' touch and Jesus' word which heal our sin-sick world. First, it's Jesus' touch that heals. He touches the leper, an untouchable, someone whom, whom the religious law of that day forbade anyone to touch, lest they become unclean and defiled too. And someone whom everyone, in fact, was afraid to touch because some leprosy was highly contagious. Yet Jesus touches this man. Then Jesus offers to go by his presence and touch the home and perhaps the servant of the Gentile centurion. Something Jews of of his day would never do. They would not even enter the home of a Gentile whom they considered to be unclean and defiled. Because in their view, that's what Gentiles were. And they would defile themselves if they were even to enter into their home. But Jesus offers to go and by his presence touch this family, this home, this servant. And then Jesus touches Peter's mother-in-law, who's sick with a fever. According to the Old Testament law, there was one week out of the month that men were not to touch women because of their monthly cycle. And for us today, this seems strange. It might even seem sexist, though I'll bet for some women, they counted it a blessing (laughs) to have a week-long break from the advances of their amorous husbands. Sorry, honey, not tonight. I've got a headache. In fact, I'm going to have one all week. Wink, wink. (laughs) Well, anyway, that's the way it was in the Old Testament for the Jews. Uh, Don't touch a woman during the week or else become unclean. And evidently, some Jewish men went a step further and and tried not to touch any woman as a matter of policy just to be on the safe side. Further, Jewish tradition also forbade touching anyone with a fever. But Jesus touches this feverish woman. And what happens when Jesus touches these people? Does their uncleanness make Jesus unclean? Does their sickness make Jesus sick? No, it's just the opposite. Jesus' touch heals. Jesus' touch cleanses. Jesus' touch restores and makes whole. And and notice something else, that, that nobody is too unclean, too dirty for Jesus to touch them. But it's not only Jesus' touch. It's also his word. When the centurion wants to spare Jesus the religious and the social awkwardness of coming into his Gentile home, he says, Jesus, just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus says the word, and at that moment, his servant is healed. And when that evening the crowds bring all the demon-possessed and the sick to Jesus to be healed and to be delivered, Jesus heals and delivers with just a word. 
And, and this is amazing in the case of the demon-possessed when you consider that there were other exorcists back then with skills and with experience and with a certain amount of success in driving away evil spirits. Do you know how they did it? They uh, used complex, almost magical incantations and rituals. And, and strange practices like having the possessed person smell smelly roots and things like that, which would seem strange to us. And they would bargain with, with the spirits of the spirit world, trying to find maybe a more powerful spirit who, in return for a favor, might get rid of the lesser spirit who was afflicting the person. And, and these methods required knowledge and skill. They were complicated and time-consuming. And they gave mixed results. They didn't always work. But now, here comes Jesus, who is able to cast out any and every demon with just a word. One commentator, Dale Bruner, puts it this way. The key expression in this sentence is, with a word. Jesus is wrapped up in his word. Jesus' word is full of healing. No bag of tricks, no techniques, only say the word. Jesus' word, like his touch, has the power to heal our sin-sick world. That's what Matthew wants us to know. Well, then Matthew explains why. He quotes Isaiah 53, verse 4. And these are famous words. This portion of Isaiah is often read around Easter time, particularly on Good Friday. And, and I want to read a few verses uh, of the verses surrounding the verse that Matthew quotes here in our text. Because when a Jewish person hears a line from the scriptures, they usually think of the whole passage, not just the one line. Just like when we hear a phrase like, the rocket's red glare, bombs bursting in air, we think of a whole song, right? <laughs> and a flag, and patriotism. A single line can be pregnant with meaning. It can bring to mind a whole song, a whole poem, and, and the whole context and all that that represents and is dear to our heart about. And that's the way many of the Jews know their scriptures and the way they knew their scriptures back in Jesus' day. And so when Matthew quotes verse 4 of Isaiah 33, here's what everyone hears. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of sorrows and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our infirmities and bore our diseases, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Right? Isaiah 53, one of the most famous Old Testament prophecies which predicts the coming of Jesus. It, it tells how Jesus would come not to be great, but to be a suffering servant. To lay down his life, to suffer and die in, in the people's place so that God's punishment for our sin would fall on him and not on us. This is, is a poem about one suffering and dying in the place of 
and on behalf of the many. And so rightly, we as Christians see its fulfillment in Jesus' death on the cross to to take away our sins and, and the sins of the world. Jesus paid the price. Jesus took the penalty for our sins so that we don't have to. And even back before the time of Jesus, though the Jews didn't connect this prophecy with death on a cross yet, they did understand that it was talking about one taking the penalty for many so that sin could be atoned for. And so when the Jews of that day were living in a world which was becoming more Greek and was becoming Hellenized, and they were translating their Hebrew Bible into Greek from Hebrew in a translation called the Septuagint. When they were doing that, listen to how they translated verse 4, the verse Matthew quotes. They translate it, He took up our sins and suffered on our behalf. That's how it read in the Greek Bible that that many Jews in Jesus' day used. He took up our sins and suffered on our behalf. Now now listen carefully because this is important. Notice how the Jews spiritualized this verse when they translated it from Hebrew into Greek. Instead of translating it, he took up our infirmities and bore our diseases, they spiritualized it to he took up our sins and bore our sufferings. They read infirmities and they translated as sins, spiritual infirmities. And they read diseases, and they translated it more generally as sufferings. Well, why did they do this? Well, because Isaiah 53 is is all about our sin problem, and how the suffering servant takes our sins on himself. So, the Jews hear infirmities and diseases, and they think spiritual infirmities, sins and the sufferings caused by those sins. And so for the Jews who spoke Greek at the time of Jesus, that's what their Greek Bible said. But notice what Matthew does. Matthew's writing in Greek. He has his Greek Bible with this spiritualized translation. But Matthew also knows Hebrew. And in this case, he skips the Greek Bible he has. He doesn't quote from it, but rather he goes back to the Hebrew and he translates himself these verses, uh, this verse from Hebrew to Greek to recover the more literal meaning with the, which the Hebrew originally had. Are you, are you following me? So not sins, but infirmities. Not sufferings, but diseases. He took our infirmities and bore our diseases, Matthew wants us to know. In other words, Matthew is saying, sure, Jesus took our sins on the cross in his death, But he also took up our physical infirmities by his touch, by his word, during his life. Sure, Jesus bore our sufferings on the cross in his death, but he also bore our diseases by his touch, by his word, during his life. Jesus' touch and Jesus' word heal our infirmities, heal our diseases. They heal the sin-sick world. Are you following me so far? It's a little bit complicated. Well, keep sticking with me because I want to explain based on Isaiah 53.4, which Matthew quotes here, why Jesus does heal people literally. Here's the connection I think Matthew wants us to see by, by quoting this verse, which is a passage about sin, or it's in a passage about sin. And that is that ultimately the cause of sickness is sin. 
the, the root of disease is sinfulness. We live in a world where there is sickness. We live in a world where there is disease and all sorts of suffering. And the reason for this is that there is sin in the world. When the first human beings, right back in the Garden of Eden, opened Pandora's box, so to speak, when they chose to turn away from God and to choose a life of sin, they also opened the door to sickness and to disease and to suffering coming into the world. Their sin pulled the thread which began unraveling God's good creation. Their sin opened Pandora's box to let sin and suffering and even death into what had been God's perfect world. Sickness comes from sin. Now, does that mean that if you're sick, it's because you've personally committed a big sin? Well, maybe it does, but then again, maybe it doesn't at all. Listen carefully. You you can't always find a neat, one-to-one cause and effect correspondence between sin and sickness in an individual's life. But what is definitely true in general is that we live in a world where there is sickness because we live in a world where there is sin. It's like a tree in its root. If the root is good, the whole tree has a chance to be good. But attack or damage the root and it makes the tree sick. That's what sin has done to our world. There's sin in the roots, and so the whole tree experiences sickness and many other kinds of trouble. So back to Jesus. What does Jesus do about this? What does Jesus do when he comes as the suffering servant? He goes after the root. He goes after sin. He dies on the cross to deal with sin, to heal the sin problem. He heals the roots so that the whole tree can get healthy again. When the Jews were translating Isaiah 53.4 into Greek, they understood that. They understood that the root of the problem is sin. That's what the suffering servant came to address. but, But Matthew then comes along and says, yes, that's true, but also don't forget why Jesus addresses sin. Not just to heal the root. Yes, that's important. But also for the sake of the whole tree. That's why Jesus' touch and Jesus' word heal our sin-sick world. Because Jesus also came to take our infirmities and to bear our diseases. Because Jesus has taken care of the root, he's dealt with our sin on the cross, taking it away. And because the root has been healed, the tree can begin to get healed as well. Because Jesus has undone what the first humans did in the Garden of Eden, because Jesus has mended and restored our relationship with God, which sin fractured and destroyed, God's will and God's goodness can be ours again. What's God's will? Well, he wants his creation to flourish. He wants it to be healthy. He wants this world to be whole. That was his intention from the beginning. That's God's kingdom. God's kingdom is all the places, all the ways that God is busy accomplishing his will, restoring and healing his creation. And so that's why as Jesus comes proclaiming the good news that God's kingdom is arriving, he starts healing everyone and setting them free. And he does it surprisingly even before he dies on the cross. Why? Well, 
I guess because he knows he's going to. He knows he's going to heal the root. He's going to take care of sin. And so all of that goodness um, that will become available through the cross when Jesus deals with sin starts bubbling up through Jesus in the present ahead of time. That's how powerful God's healing impulse is. That's how eager God is to start getting things restored in his creation and among his people. Through Jesus' touch and through his word, God heals our sin-sick world. And so Matthew quotes this Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah 53, 4. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. He's saying, see, God foretold ahead of time that his suffering servant would accomplish all this. So question, if this is all true, if it's true that Jesus has died for sin and that in the process he's taken up our infirmities and bore our diseases, if it's true that in Jesus' touch, in Jesus' word, that there's power to heal this sin-sick world, then why doesn't everyone get healed now, right? Why doesn't everyone get healed? Well, I, I can think of four reasons, and as we come toward the end here, let me mention them quickly. First, some people don't want to get better. Uh, you might remember the paralytic who Jesus asks, do you want to get well? <laughs> Jesus recognizes that not everyone does. Some people really don't want to because their whole identity has gotten wrapped up in playing the role of the patient. Getting cared for, having others do stuff for them. They don't want to get better because that would radically change their life and increase the responsibility and so they don't get better. A second reason, um, and, and I don't even like to mention this one because it's been so abused, but, but it is biblical, so with a caveat, I'll mention it. And that is that in some cases, a person doesn't get better because there is specific sin in their life, um, which is the root of, of that sickness, and, and God's got to deal with that sin first before they can get better. Remember the other paralytic who who Jesus doesn't heal right away, but he says, first, son, your sins are forgiven. Um, but some people aren't ready to give up their sins. Maybe it's someone that they won't forgive. Maybe it's um, bitterness that they're holding on to or, or a favorite sin that, that they just won't give up. Now, we have to be careful about blaming people's sickness on their sin. We have to be very careful about that. Because it, that easily becomes a case of being judgmental and blaming the victim that we should have compassion on. Um, it may not be appropriate at all, and, and it, it's a, it can be a foolish and, and cruel thing to suggest. Um, but on the other hand, we have to be open to the possibility that at times this could be the case. Third reason that we might not get healed, and we have to be really careful with this third one too, but it's also biblical, and so I'm going to just stick out my neck and mention it. And, and that is that in some cases we may lack the faith to get healed. A again, just because someone is sick, we shouldn't accuse them of not having enough faith because it may not be the case. And, and it's not like faith is something you can just screw up, you know, and try harder to have it. Um, uh, but here's the thing. Faith comes from looking at Jesus and listening to his word. When we see who Jesus is, when we recognize the power in his touch, the power in his word, when we remember his, 
and understand his heart of, of compassion that's just overflowing with compassion and genuinely wants what's best for us. I know when my vision is on Jesus in this way, I am more open and more expectant to Jesus answering my prayers. That's why often churches pray for healing after the sermon or in the context of, of celebrating communion because it's at the, those moments that we have our eyes more clearly focused on Jesus than maybe at other times. And, and so that's a good time to ask. James says in, in his letter, you do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. So faith in Jesus is definitely a part of this. But fourth, a fourth reason that we may not get healed is that God's kingdom hasn't fully come yet. God's kingdom has come, but it has not yet fully come. And so while the root of sin may be healed in our life, that root is still not fully healed in the world. The world is still in rebellion against God in many ways and places, and, and we live in this world, and so there's sickness still hanging around in this world. And, and so while God cares for us deeply and wants us to be fully healed and fully restored, he also works quite slowly sometimes as he addresses the world's problems. And, and so the restoration of all things is still in progress. It's not completed yet. And so in our particular case, as we live in this world, which is not completely healed, God's answer to us may be, wait, not yet. I'm still working on things. But that doesn't stop us from asking, right? It, it doesn't negate the fact that Jesus came to take up our infirmities and to bear our diseases. It doesn't negate the fact that on the cross, Jesus healed the root of sin, and so the tree can now become healed as well. And so Jesus came announcing the good news that the time has come, that the kingdom of God is at hand. And along with that, Jesus started healing people. Because in the coming of Jesus, the restoration of all things has begun. And in his touch and in his word, there is healing for our sin-sick world. Do you believe that? While there's a not yet aspect to God's kingdom, and there's stuff that we have to wait for, I'm convinced that there's already way more already present, way more available than most of us realize and that I even sometimes remember. Um, so what did Ann and I do when we realized that, that we had gone to everyone else to heal our child um, but hadn't been serious and intentional about asking Jesus? Well, we just gathered around and prayed for our child. We asked Jesus to touch our child and to heal them. And guess what? For uh, weeks up to this point, their symptoms had stayed the same. But um, in this case, after we prayed for them, within a few days they started getting better. And um, they're still not totally better, and I don't know why. And so we'll just keep asking Jesus to heal the rest of the way, um, even as we continue to see what the doctors can do for them. Because Jesus' word and Jesus' touch, they heal our sin-sick world. Maybe some of you want to ask this morning for Jesus to touch you with his healing touch, or, or to speak a word of healing into your life. 
Maybe it's for you. Maybe it's for someone that you know and love who isn't here this morning. Maybe it's for physical healing or maybe it's um, for your heart, for their heart, for an emotional matter um, or for a relationship. Or maybe there's a situation, a, a broken situation in your workplace or your community, relationships that need to be healed that you want to ask for healing. We're going to give you a chance to do that. Um, in a minute, minute we're going to play some music and, and I'll invite everyone to stand. And you can listen to the song or you can just pray silently uh, in these next few minutes. And I've asked some people um, to be available to pray for you. If, if you'd like someone to pray with you, I'll just invite you to kind of um, step out into the aisle so they know who you are and they'll just come up and um, they'll pray with you. So um, let's turn to Jesus in prayer. I invite everyone to stand. We'll put on the music. If you'd like someone to pray with you, just step into the aisle.